Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're in a series entitled Fruitfulness, Abiding, Growing, and Abounding out of John chapter 15. If you'd like to turn in your Bible to John 15... You can follow with me very closely with what I want to present this morning out of that particular chapter of the Bible, John 15. Fruitful, abiding, growing, and abounding. My definition for a fruitful person is very uh, simple, but it's one that I've been building on for the last several weekends. A fruitful person is one who is implanted and abided in Christ, and the words that follow right here are very important. Growing, everyone say growing. Now, sometimes in Christ, sometimes in the relationship we have to the Lord Jesus, the Word and prayer, we stagnate. We actually kind of bog down. We don't feel a real growth spurt in our life. That's why it's so important to be reminded about our relationship to Christ and how actually we get some new growth going in our life. Growing, increasing, abounding, flourishing, and then I think the highest realm is reproducing fruit, which is reproducing fruit in other people. It's discipleship. It's how you actually mentor and you actually reproduce fruit in other people. All right? Fruitful life. What is a fruitful life? We're called to be fruitful. And we know that. We've gone through the scriptures about that. We're called to be fruitful. It's a mandate. It's a command. God doesn't say, please, would you think about it? He says, be fruitful. Everyone shout out loud, be fruitful. It's a, it's a command. It's a command of Scripture. It's God's desire in print. He says, I want you to be fruitful. Being fruitful is a command of the Father, a sign of spiritual health, a source of deep satisfaction, and a fulfillment of purpose. So we've learned that fruitfulness should be already our commitment, our choice. It's our calling. Everyone here should be fruitful. Everyone here should be growing. Everyone that's listening to the word right now, no matter where you are, by iPod or in the auditorium, if you're listening to the word, you should be a person that desires to bear fruit. Now, to say that you bear fruit, don't bear fruit, you have to identify what fruit is and what kind of fruit you should be bearing, and we'll talk about that a little bit. We also know for fruitful life, the secret of fruitfulness is a real, vital connection to Christ. All right? A real, vital connection to Christ. A union with Jesus, intimate, personal, living, nourishing, mutual, continual, and real. Now, I've been hammering this for a reason. A lot of people can go to church and not have a vital connection to Christ, not really know Jesus intimately, personally, real, and up to date. It's not a 24-7 thing. It could be go to church, sing a song, go back to your real life, your normal life, No prayer life, no devotional life, no Holy Spirit life. Just kind of live life without Jesus, except when you come to church. And and that's great that you at least have made that choice to come to church. That's an awesome thing. But it must go beyond that. And the only way for Christianity to work, the way it's supposed to work, is that you have a vital, living, real relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a religious relationship. Not a church relationship, not a mental relationship, a spiritual relationship. And when you have a spiritual relationship, you're nourished, something happens in your heart. 
You begin to grow in the things of Jesus because why? You love Jesus. You talk to Jesus. Every decision is between you and Jesus. Every thought's between you and Jesus. When you offend Jesus, you feel it. When you step over the line, you know you're wrong. You talk to Jesus about it. When you do something, you know your flesh got its way and the spirit was grieved. You do something about it. You don't just go on with life and ignore what you're doing. You stop. You do business with Jesus. You pray in the car, you pray in the shower, you pray in your office, you pray when you take a walk with the dog. If you have a dog, you pray and you talk to Jesus about it. You plug into the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a vital, real, living, ongoing relationship. He talks with you, you talk with him. John 15 says you abide in him and he abides in you. So we know that the vital relationship is the key to everything we're talking about. We've also learned in Fruitful Life, we understand the key to ongoing fruit is one of the words used in John 15 is the word pruning. So we understand that ongoing fruit is by pruning of the father. So the father comes in and he will cut out the dead wood. Now, dead wood is simply those areas of your life that are non-productive. They're unproductive because they're tied to the wrong thing. Dead wood is when you're tied to something that is not Christ. It's dead because it can't produce the life of Jesus because it has a different source, a different root. And so the Father comes in and he cuts out some dead wood of our life. He cuts out things that are obvious, such as bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and other things such as jealousy and, and wrong ambition. And then he begins to cut out some of the words we use and then he starts going for some of the attitudes and then he starts going for some of our thinking patterns and some of the things that we set out there as a goal that really should not be a goal at all. We never cleared it with the father. The father never told us to do it. We figured it out, made our decision, went our way. And the father comes back with his clippers and say, you know what? This is dead wood, Frank. I never told you to do that. I'm not even in this whatsoever. And so I'm going to clip this out of your life. Thank you very much. I'm just going to remove it right now. And so the father comes in with his shears and he begins to dig out the dead or the diseased wood or the suckers, those that that take the sap, but they never bear fruit. They, they, They kind of drop all the energy, but the energy they drop never produces any fruit. So it takes all your time, it takes your emotion, but it doesn't produce anything. So the father comes along and he snips those out, says that's a non-productive branch. It will never produce. I'm going to clean it out of your life. I'm going to help you find a way to get some freedom for these things so that all the sap will go to the right branches and you will bear good fruit All the days of your life. Now, John chapter 15, fruitful living, what I'm after in this particular message is to commit ourselves to, I want you to make a commitment to abiding, growing, abounding in the fruit Christ desires and expects us to bear. Now, let me just ask you a simple question and then you can kind of just flow along with me here because we're going to dip into John 15 now. If I could name a specific fruit that I should be bearing, what would it be? If I could name for my own life a specific fruit that I know that I should be bearing right now at this season of my life, right now at this time of my spiritual development, right now with the gifts that I have and the positions I have and the life I have, what would be the fruit that I should be bearing right now? And am I committed to bear in that kind of fruit. I would think at my age, being a Christian for over 35 years and in the ministry for over 30 years and being a pastor and a teacher knowing the word of God, I should be more like Jesus now than ever in my life. 
which means I should be more gentle, I should be more loving, I should be more forgiving, I should be more accepting, I should be, because that's where my life is. If you're just beginning in your Christian life, maybe your fruit would be, I would just like to be able to communicate with those people in my life that I should communicate with, but I need to forgive them first. So my first fruit would be if I could just forgive my father, or forgive my mother, or forgive that pastor or that leader or that boss or whoever it might be so I can just break out of this particular barrenness that's in my heart. And so the Holy Spirit will come and he'll rain on you and you will have the capacity and the motivation to bear fruits in that area. John 15 and verse 16. If you're marking your Bible, I'd like you to at least mark this verse and then we're going to take four other verses out of John 15. John 15 and verse 16. You did not choose me I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit. The kind of fruit that endures, remains. And so the Father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. So the Father wants us to bear fruits. And the fruit that we bear should remain. Now, John chapter 15, verse 2 and verse 5. John 15, verse 2 and verse 5. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, that's a weighty clause, one that I've already dealt with exegetically and looked at the words and given you my opinion. I can't do that again. But that's a very weighty verse. Every branch in me that doesn't bear, broken off, thrown into the fire, who is he speaking about? Every branch that does bear, he prunes. We've dealt with the pruning. That it may bear more fruit. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, bears much fruit. Everyone say, much fruit. And then this is another one of those famous John 15 phrases. There's some phrases in this chapter that everybody knows, even though they don't know the Bible. But without me, you can do nothing. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. This is the law of the kingdom of God. It cannot be broken. It is an absolute statement. Without me, remember, without me, you're hopeless. You can't do anything. Without me, you will not accomplish anything that's eternal. Without me, you will not accomplish what you think you want to do. Without me, well, without me, you will do nothing. It's an emphatic Greek phrase. There's no potential for changing it. It's a nothing. You will do nothing without me. You are totally dependent upon me for your life. I am your source. I am your life. You are dependent upon me. And when you understand that, your dependency goes up and you learn how to stay in that vine and draw from Jesus everything you need because he has everything you need. Now, there are four levels of fruit bearing. Put these down. Everybody that's listening to me is on one of these levels. First of all, there's people who will bear some fruit. The some fruit people. The some fruit people is what I would call the Luke 3 people. Luke 3 and verse 8. The some fruit people are simply these kind of people. And this is the great place to be if this is where you are because you're progressing. The some fruit people are those who are bearing fruit. It says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Worthy of repentance. Well, some fruit could be that you've turned your life. Some fruit could be that you've stopped certain habits and you've 
uh, actually made a decision to get rid of certain things in your life and you have fruit. So uh, when people meet you and talk with you now, they would say, well, you have great fruit. I've noticed that you've cleaned up your mouth. You don't talk the way you used to. That's fruits of repentance. Repentance means, metanous, a change of course, a change of mind. You've made a decision to stop doing something and to start doing something else. You've made a decision that you're tired of being a crummy husband and being a a person that beats your wife down with your words or robbing her of her emotions or giving her no time or living your selfish husband life with your recreations and your job and leaving her out of everything. And and she kind of tells you that, but you don't really respond until you meet Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, you should be able to say to your wife, you know what? I'm going to be a better husband. I'm not saying I'm going to be a perfect husband, but I'm going to be a better husband. Fruits of repentance, some fruit. I'm going to stop doing the things I've been doing. I know they bother you. And I know I've been very selfish, but I'm going to stop doing those things. I want you to know that I'm growing in Jesus. And the Bible tells me I'm to love you the way that Jesus loves the church. And so I'm going to start plugging into Jesus. Now, I'm going to love you differently than you've ever been loved. Don't you know that is great music to a wife's ears? Don't you know that wife just blossoms at that point and just melts? And she will do anything to love you more because you are showing true fruits of repentance. If you've been an angry man or an angry woman or an angry uh, child or teenager, you've been a, a person who has hurt people with your anger... Uh, a story comes to my mind right now. A father was trying to teach a, a boy, his, his son, on the uh, power of anger and how anger hurts people. And so what he did, every time the young boy in the house got angry, he would take the boy out to a fence and they would put a nail in the fence. Well, they did this over several months and there were nails all over the fence. And so the father went out with the boy one day and says, okay, I want you to pull out all the nails. So the boy pulled out all the nails. He says, now I want you to understand this. We can get rid of the nails. That is, you can say, I'm sorry and I shouldn't have done that. But I want you to look at all the holes in the fence. Because anger can leave a mark on a person that doesn't get removed just because you say, I'm sorry, or I won't do that again. And you, every time you do this to your brothers and your sisters and your friends, you're putting a nail in the fence and you're causing harm to them that they have to deal with. Anger is not something that you can use on other people. The boy got the picture. Fruits of repentance means if I've been angry, I understand that anger is wrong and I actually admit it to somebody. I admit it to a parent. I admit it to a coach. I admit it to a friend. I admit it to a small group leader. I admit it to someone. That's a fruit of repentance. That's the first level of fruitfulness is honesty. I need to change in this area. This anger is causing me a problem. Next time I raise my voice and I start losing it, I want you just to say to me, remember, you said you weren't going to do this anymore, and then I will... Somehow get a grip on myself. An angry man can be a a man with with huge problems. An angry woman. Anger itself can be a huge, huge problem. Now, I could talk about a hundred things like this. Fruits of repentance is simply you have marked some area of your life where there's change and you have some fruit. Now, the next level is those who bear more fruit. More fruit. More fruit people, I would think, is the Colossians 1, 9, and 10 people. Colossians 1, 9, and 10. More fruit, 
Colossians 1.9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, listen to the language, filled with the knowledge of His will, filled with the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom, okay, wisdom, knowledge, will, spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy, this is the person that's getting their act together, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, now listen, being fruitful, being fruitful, in every Good work. This is a person who's bearing more fruit. A person who's bearing more fruit is a person who thinks about the will of God. Is a person who thinks about their decisions. Is a person who fully pleases the Lord with every direction they take. It's a person who has good works. They serve somewhere. They help somewhere. They don't just have fruits of repentance of just a turn in their life. They now have fruits of investment. They're actually really serious about serving Jesus. And they're bearing fruits of being in the will of God. The third level of people are those who have much fruit. The much fruit people, in my estimation, would be the Galatians 5. 22 through 24 people. These are the people who bear the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit means love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and Paul gives you nine fruit of the Spirit. What am I saying? A much more fruitful person is a person who is bearing fruit in every one of those areas. You bear fruit in the love area. You bear fruit in the long-suffering area. You bear fruit in the peace area. You bear fruit in the joy area. You bear fruit in the forgiveness area. You have fruit in all the fruits of the Spirit. Your, I, your life is not isolated to, to one fruit. You now are filled with fruit. You're manifesting fruit in every area of your life. In the marketplace, in the home, in the church, in social life, everywhere around you. You bear fruits that anybody can pick up on that you are a very fruitful person because you're so Christ-like. You have so much fruit in every area. The fourth level is a person who has fruit that remains. And fruit that remains is fruit that is reproduced in other people. That is, when you actually become serious about Jesus and you begin to grow in God, grow in grace and grow in repentance, grow in the will of God, grow in spiritual knowledge, grow in understanding, grow in prayer, and you begin to have a heart like Christ to serve people, help people, I guarantee you one of the great areas of fruitfulness is when you begin to take another person and help them. You actually begin to reproduce fruit in their life. When they don't have fruits of repentance, you bring them to a place where they can have fruits of repentance. When they don't have a good marriage, you go to work on their marriage so they start having the fruit of a good marriage. When they don't have a good job and they don't know how to be a good worker, you go to work on them and you reproduce in them faithfulness and loyalty and and hard work and diligence and honesty. You start bearing fruit in that person and reproducing in them, your fruit will remain because you've learned how to minister fruit to other people. My question to you would simply be, Who, where, and when are you reproducing fruit in someone else? Are you at the stage where you still are so concerned about your tree, you can't help anybody else's tree? Everyone can help someone. Everyone can reproduce through someone else. Everyone can serve another person. Everyone can be concerned to pray for someone else. My question is, do you have that? Are you bearing fruit in anyone else's life? That they would come back to you and say, hey, you know what? Um, Wow. Thank you so very much for helping me and my wife. That was so awesome. You gave us six weeks of your time and 
met with us every week, and you, you just don't have any idea what a turnaround we've had because of your few hours of investment in our life. You could have watched TV. You could have gone on, done your recreation stuff, or just gone home and go to sleep, whatever. But you decided to take a few hours each evening and actually meet with someone else. Turn off the tube. Turn off your mind for yourself and go to work on their life. Might not seem like much when you do it, but months later it will come back to you with people saying, wow, you you really, you really impacted our life. Well, Jesus names one fruit in this chapter that stands out over all the others. Look at John 15 and tell me what it is. What is the one fruit that Jesus picks out and says, this is so important, I'm going to repeat myself for several verses. The one fruit. What is it? How many found it? What is it? What fruit is it? Love. 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 Do you love me? I do. Thank you, Jessica. Everyone say it out loud. John 15, take down these verses. Verse 9, 10, 12, 13, 17. You have them? Mark your Bible. As the Father loved me. Come on, shout out loved. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide. Everyone say abide. Now notice Jesus shifts. Just a little bit because he's been saying, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Now he ships over and starts saying, and also abide in my love. John 15 verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love, this is another one of those famous verses. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I suppose if I had to be, stand up and take a bullet for my friend, I might have to think about it. Or be crucified for my friend, I'd have to think about that. It's not the bullet or the crucifixion I think Jesus is talking about at all. He's not talking about you literally dying for your friend. He's talking about you laying down your priorities to put a friend into your life. Dying to self and making room for your friend. There's no greater love. For you to give up your life for someone else. Some of my greatest heroes still to this day, of course, even though she's the most famous woman in heaven now, Mother Teresa, but I've read every book about Mother Teresa because she fascinated me that she could live so absolutely without self. Then it just boggles my mind. She is so different than I am. She's better, fuller, had a deeper revelation of what this is all about. And there are people who do this that actually lay down everything they want to do 
to serve something else that's greater. Jesus says, no greater love than laying down your life for someone else. That's why the love of a parent is the greatest love of all, because we lay down our life for our kids. Instead of doing the things we should, of doing the things we want to develop and all the money we want to save and every vacation we want to go to, how many parents have ever decided, I can't do this vacation because I can't take the kids with me? Or I'm going to do a cheaper vacation because it's better for the kids. All the years we did our kids' vacation, we have a pretty much empty nest now, but all the years we did our family vacation, I would call them, these are family time. It's not vacation. For them, it's vacation. For me, it's flat-out work, managing, organizing, saving, administrating, making sure they have fun, making sure they're fulfilled, making sure they get to do what they want to do. And when I would come back from vacation, I would be more tired than when I left. How many parents can identify? So then I, knock, knock, learned. Sharon and I will get away by ourselves. We call that vacation. When it's just her and I. And you sleep in and go to Starbucks at 10 o'clock and go to a movie and go to dinner and just remind yourself the kids aren't here. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, I love my kids, but they're not here. I don't even have to think about it. I can actually do something today without getting in the car and riding to some sporting event or whatever. We lay our life down for our kids. And that's why every child listening to me, every teenager, every young adult should begin to realize your parents will lay their life down down for you. All right. Four levels of love in the Greek. In the English language, we say love for everything. I love you. I love you. I love you. When you don't have any idea what love is, you still use the word. But there are four Greek words, one that Jesus uses in this chapter. The first Greek word is eros, where we get our word erotic. It's physical. It's passion. And you can have eros love for a person with a one-night stand. You can have eros love with a person just because you see them and you have a physical attraction. You can have eros love for someone who you don't even know that you see on a screen or a magazine or read in a book. It's eros. You're, you're moved with some kind of passion and there's a physical connection, but it's not the love that Jesus is talking about. Our society is built on an Eros mentality. And that's why people who marry on an Eros love have a horrible time because this is what Eros does. Eros says, as long as you fulfill what I need, I love you. When you quit fulfilling what I need, I don't know what to do because I've lost all my feelings. Therefore, we shouldn't still be married. Therefore, we still shouldn't be together. I mean, I have no love for you whatsoever because they quit meeting your physical passion. And as soon as that happens, you lose ground. And we have a society that's built on this arrows concept, which doesn't work. Uh, Storge love is a family love. Uh, Philea love is a friendship love. And then agape love, really pronounced agape, is a love of God. It can only be the love of God because agape love is the only love that says, you don't have to repay me. You don't have to fulfill my expectations. You don't have to do anything to be lovable to me. You don't have to do anything to get me to love you. I love you because I've decided to love you and there's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. That's what agape is. There's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. I will love you no matter what. If you don't fulfill something, it's not like, well, you know, 
I love my parents, but they've missed my birthday all these years, and so I'm going to get back at them. That's, that's Eros love. That's, that's not even phileo love. That's a, that's a love of the flesh that says, if you don't fulfill what I wanted from you, then I'm going to get back at you by not coming home for Christmas. I'm going to get back at you for not sending you me a card. I'm not going to send you an anniversary card, or I'm not going to come over for Thanksgiving, or I'm not going to do anything. We want to get back at them instead of just loving them. To love a spouse with agape love would solve about 75% of all marriage problems in America. Because every spouse would just say, I love you no matter what you do. And so even though they can't fulfill what they think they should do, you don't have any expectations for them. You just love them and love them and love them. A parent that loves a child that way ends up raising a better child. Agape. Jesus says, if you love me, if you agape me, if you abide in this agape love, you'll be able to give agape love. What is agape love? Here's a few things about it that you probably should know. One... Is agape love is a deliberate choice of the will. Now we're talking about how you're going to love from here on out. Can you actually do this? Not unless you're in the vine, abide in Jesus, abide in the love. It's a direct decision to say, I will love. I will forgive. It's a decision of the will, not the emotion. Number two, it requires all of you. Spirit, soul, mind, heart, emotion. It takes a total person to love with this kind of a total love. Not a half love, just with my mind, but not with my emotion. It takes all of you. Number three, agape love gives without trying to take back. I'll love you if, I'll love you because. Oh, this is a love that I don't know a lot about, but I know a little about Because I'm like you, I'm born of flesh, deal with the Adamic nature, and have to deal with my past just like you do. And so loving someone and them not fulfilling what I think should be a return of that investment is a very difficult thing to learn. But I've learned in a lot of ways, as a pastor and as a husband, I've learned a lot in my lifetime to know how to just simply get rid of expectations. Get rid of demands. I demand you to respond to me. Get rid of, I demand you to meet the expectations. If I give you, you give back. If you don't give back, there's no more giving. That's not agape love. Agape love is a parent that loves a child no matter what the child does. Even if they embarrass you, they don't fulfill what they should do as a child. You love the child. Same with the spouse, same with people. You love. Agape love. Number four, agape seeks the best interest of others. Number five, agape love can be tough. That is, you don't just let people run over you. Agape love can be tough. Agape love is the kind of love that can say to someone who's abusive, get help. Agape love can say to someone who is ruining their life, stop. Don't destroy your life like this. Agape love does not turn its head and ignore the problem. Agape love confronts. Agape love would say, that is going to destroy your marriage, destroy your home, destroy your job. Agape love doesn't just kind of put a canopy over people and ignore all their faults. No, it's honest, it's tough, but it still loves even though the result's not always there. It always loves. Number six, agape love is impossible without God. Agape love is impossible without God. When the Apostle Paul goes into this, because he takes off on what Jesus says here. 
First Corinthians 13 is the chapter you should read this week and just think about it. But verse 1 and 2 of First Corinthians 13, Paul says, If you have all the knowledge in the world and you don't have love, you're a zero. What? If you can prophesy and move mountains and have not love, you are nothing. If you give all of your money to charity, to the poor, all of your goods, that's what he says, and without love, you're nothing. Then he capped it off by saying, if you put your body in a fire and burn your body, give your body as a sacrifice, and that's pretty radical, and do it without love, he says, you're nothing. He got his point across. He says, you're like a sounding gong. You're an empty vessel. You're a person. I mean, it's pretty potent information. Then he goes off and he says, and by the way, here's 15 ingredients, elements, identification marks of love. He said, love is patient. Love is never jealous. Love never gives up. Love is not proud, arrogant, or me first. Love always brings hope, never takes away that. Love is the greatest of all. How do you love? If you abide in Jesus, you probably need some stuff flushed out of your life that's keeping you from loving. Baggage. Stuff. That makes me the kind of person where, you know, when you, when you get constipated in your heart and you can't love, it messes your whole system up. Your personality starts twisting. Your facial expressions, your words, pretty soon your physical body starts suffering because you're stopped. You can't release it. You can't. Well, that's not the way to live. God wants you to be free to love the way he loves. Can I hear an amen?